Welcome to Hallowed, Exploring the Lives of the Saints, Episode 5, Mary of the Gale. I'm your host, Tom Thorne, and in this podcast, I'll be taking you on a journey through the lives, adventures, trials, and triumphs of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Today we'll be talking about a saint whose life sounds as much like a Celtic fairy tale as a biography. Like any good fairy tale, The details may be shrouded in mist, but the heart of the tale is true. This is the story of the abbess, miracle worker, beer brewer, and patroness of the Emerald Isle, St. Bridget. Bridget was born a slave around the year 450, in the chaotic world of Dark Age Ireland. Her mother, a woman named Brockshi, had been captured in a slaving raid, like so many souls in that turbulent age. It's not clear if Brockshi was herself Irish, or if she had been taken from a Welsh or Pictish tribe on the island of Britain. But whatever her origins, she was sold to an Irish chieftain named Dovok, who took her as his concubine. Now, polygamy, like slavery was ubiquitous among the ancient pagan Celts. No self-respecting warlord would make do with just one wife. In fact, the custom was so deeply entrenched in Irish culture that it would survive many centuries into the Middle Ages, despite the best efforts of the church to root it out. And yet, even the most lecherous of Gaelic chieftains would still honor a main wife as his queen, above his many concubines, and Dovok was no exception. When Brockshi became pregnant with her master's child, his main wife grew jealous and demanded that the slave be gotten rid of. Dovok, not wanting to incur the wrath of his queen for the sake of a mere concubine, agreed. Brockshi was promptly sold to a poet, a man of great wealth and learning in the Gaelic world, who in turn sold her to a druid, or priest, of the Celtic pagan religion. This druid lived all the way over in Connaught, the wild western province of Ireland. And so it was there, amid the remote mountains of the west, that Brockshi gave birth to a daughter. She named her Bridget. Before we go any further, I ought to address one of the main misconceptions about St. Bridget. The claim, based largely on her name, that she never really existed. What on earth am I talking about? Well, there are certain people today, usually atheists with an axe to grind against the church, who will tell you with a straight face that Bridget was actually a pagan goddess who somehow snuck into Christianity in the form of a fictional saint. Like almost any falsehood, there is a grain of truth in it. There was a goddess in Celtic mythology named Bridget. She was a patroness of childbirth and healing, among other things. But to go on from there to deny the existence of a person named Bridget 
is frankly ridiculous. People in the ancient world, just like today, often named their children after holy patrons. Many Christians, myself included, are named after saints, and in turn, many early saints were named after the pagan gods and goddesses of their ancestors. So we really shouldn't be too surprised to find an Irish saint named after an Irish goddess, any more than we should be surprised to find Greek and Roman saints named after Greek and Roman gods. No one ever claims that Saint Apollo, the 4th century hermit, was secretly the Greek god of the sun, or that Saint Bacchus, a soldier and martyr from the time of Saint George, was just the Roman god of wine in a Christian guise. When people write off Saint Brigid as a Christianized myth, it only shows how far some can stretch when they want to take a swipe at Christianity, but don't have a real argument. With that in mind, let's get back to the story. If Brokshi had been just like any other slave in ancient Ireland, then I likely wouldn't be telling you her tale. But she wasn't just a common captive. She was also a Christian. According to tradition, sometime before giving birth to her daughter, Brokshi had had a chance meeting with the best-loved saint in all of Ireland's history. None other than St. Patrick. The Apostle of Ireland, by this time an old man, and the first bishop of the island's fledgling Christian community, had himself been enslaved by Gaelic pirates as a boy. In fact, as an aside, the word Gaelic simply means pirate. Even though Brockshay was the concubine of a pagan warlord, Patrick instructed her in the faith and gave her the gift of baptism. Apparently, there were many other girls in her situation, Christian slaves to heathen masters, by the end of Patrick's mission. Patrick wrote in compassion for these women, They who are kept in bondage suffer most. They constantly endure, even unto terror and menaces. But the Lord has given grace to many of my handmaids. So it was that Brokshi, a Christian slave in the house of a druid, gave birth to St. Brigid. The legends say little of Brigid's early childhood in the house of the Connet Druid, but they agree that around the age of ten, she was sent to live with her father, Dovick, in the east of Ireland, in keeping with the warlord's wish to meet his own daughter. All we can say firmly is that before sending Brigid back to her father, Brokshi must have taught her the essentials of the Christian faith, for when the little girl returned to Dovick's court, she immediately stood out from her pagan peers. Even as a child, Brigid showed great concern for feeding the poor, and when Dovick, no doubt hoping to train her to be another man's queen one day, put her in charge of the royal kitchen, Brigid proved so generous in giving away her father's food stores that he feared she might impoverish him. As she grew older, Brigid began to make more daring requests of her father, including a visit to her mother on the far side of Ireland. You can imagine Dovick's displeasure. It must have sounded like his daughter was trying to run away after all the years he'd spent raising her. But Brigid went anyway. Arriving back once more in her native Connet, Brigid sought out her mother, who had grown frail before her time from the toils of life as a slave. 
At once, Bridget volunteered to take her mother's place, so that Brockshe, who was by now nearly blind, could rest. Before long, another servant of the druid who owned Brockshe came by and found the young Bridget hard at work churning butter and dividing every batch into thirteen portions. When he asked her what she was doing, Bridget told the servant that she was honoring Christ and his twelve apostles. The twelve portions would go to the druid, but the thirteenth, Christ's portion, would be given to the poor. When the druid himself learned about Bridget's charity, and the miraculous abundance of butter that was suddenly filling his pantry, he called her before him, and was apparently so touched by her willingness to take her mother's place that he granted Brockshe her freedom. It's the last we hear of Bridget's mother, so we're left to believe that she lived the rest of her life a free woman. As for the druid, he would go on to be baptized. Not long after, Bridget gained her own freedom, too. She had not intended to run away from her father, only to rescue her mother if she could, out of loyalty to both her parents. So she returned to Dovick's court after setting Brockshe free, and resumed her role as a kind of royal almsgiver. But Bridget, now a teenager, attracted the ire of her father's main wife once again. That same woman who had grown jealous of Brockshe now demanded that Bridget too be sent away. Apparently the queen, a worldly woman, was brought to shame by the girl's generosity. So once again, Dovick bowed to his wife's wishes and made ready to sell Bridget to the neighboring king of Leinster. But Bridget was not destined to be some chieftain's slave. Her father drove her to the fortress of the neighboring lord, and left her behind in his chariot while he did business with her new master. As she sat and waited, no doubt with great anticipation, a leper approached along the road, and begged Bridget for alms. She had nothing to give, except for her father's sword, studded with gold and jewels. So she handed the weapon to the leper, who absconded with all speed. We can only guess Dovick's fury when he returned to find that his daughter had given away yet another of his treasures. At this point, he was probably keen to be rid of her, so he dragged Bridget into the stronghold and offered her to the King of Leinster. But there was one slight problem with Dovick's plan. The King of Leinster was a Christian, baptized, like Bridget's mother, by St. Patrick himself. So when the king learned of his new servant's boundless generosity, he was deeply impressed, and asked her if she would give away his goods, just as she had given away her father's. Bridget did not mince words. The son of the virgin knows that if I had your mites, with all Leinster and all your wealth, I would give them to the Lord. Hearing that, the king knew he was in the presence of a saint. At once he told Dovick, You and I are not fit to bargain about this maiden. Her merit is higher before God than before men. In return for the sword Bridget had given to the leper, the king granted Dovick a blade of his own, 
a beautiful weapon with an ivory hilt, on the condition that the girl be set free. Dovik had long last relented. From that moment on, Bridget was a slave no more. As she came of age, Bridget, now a princess of Dovik's court, received many offers of marriage from wealthy and powerful men. She was exceptionally beautiful, and suitors came from all over Ireland to ask for her hand. But Bridget refused them all, for she had already set her sights on marriage to the heavenly bridegroom. All she needed was her father's permission to take a vow of consecrated virginity. It's clear that by this point, Dovik had grown to respect his headstrong daughter. Though he was still, and as far as we know would always remain, pagan, he knew that he could never stop Bridget from pursuing what she thought best. So, in the end, Dovik gave his consent. Bridget, now a grown woman, left his court for the final time to become a bride of Christ. Not all stories agree on how Bridget took up the religious life. We know she took her vow in front of one of the bishops left by St. Patrick, who by this point had gone to heaven, but accounts differ on who that bishop was and where he kept his diocese. All the same, those little details are less important than the part on which all agree. The task that Bridget had to face. When Bridget took her vow, she didn't have the luxury of joining a convent, because there were no convents or monasteries of any kind in Ireland at the time. And so it fell to Bridget herself to set one up. According to legend, she gathered seven like-minded women and set off across the Irish moors to find a place where they might settle. Eventually, they were offered a plot of land by none other than the King of Leinster, very likely the same one who had persuaded Bridget's father to set her free. With this royal grant, Bridget and her sisters founded Ireland's first convents at Kildara, known today as Kildare. The name means the Church of the Oak, and comes from a massive tree that Bridget is said to have loved and blessed. It may have been a sacred grove of the goddess Bridget before the coming of Christianity, which may well have been why the Christian king, with a good sense of irony, gave it to his favorite nun. St. Bridget's convent at Kildare, where she ruled as abbess for the rest of her long life, would go on to become the first great center of Christian religious life in Ireland, pivotal not only in the conversion of the Emerald Isle, but in the wider history of Christendom. As the founder of the Irish monastic tradition, it's not an exaggeration to regard Bridget as one of the saviors of Christian culture in some of its darkest days. As you may already know, the monks and nuns of Ireland played an indispensable role in shepherding Western Europe through the chaos of the early Middle Ages. They preserved the classics of ancient Rome from destruction at barbarian hands. They produced incredible works of art, like the Book of Kells. And they led missions to convert the pagan peoples of England, Scotland, and the continent. They did all of that and more, 
fighting to rebuild civilization in an age of dire poverty and violence. It's a truly heroic tale, and we're going to save it for future episodes. For the rest of today's episode, we're going to leave behind the historical St. Brigid as abbess of Kildare, founder of Irish monasticism, and take a look at the legendary St. Brigid, whose stories often sound like fairy tales. I don't mean that in a negative way. As we saw in the lives of George and Thecla, one of the benefits of learning about saints from the early church is that they can help us to become more comfortable with ambiguity. No one today would claim that every story about Brigid, or any other ancient saints, is literally true, but a legend doesn't need to have happened in every detail to contain deeper levels of meaning. Just think of George and the Dragon. So whether or not you choose to believe any of the fairy tales about St. Brigid, you can still find a great deal of truth in them. The stories I'm about to read you are lightly adapted from the life of St. Brigid by a monk named Cogitosus, who lived at Brigid's own monastery of Kildare, roughly a century after her death. Based on earlier writings and oral traditions, it's one of the oldest biographies of our saint, and it offers a rich taste of the mysterious and magical world that was Dark Age Ireland. I hope you enjoy. The Tale of St. Brigid and the Wolves Among the many people who offered Brigid gifts was a man who came from a distant land. He said he would give her plump pigs, but asked that she send some of her people back to his farm to collect them. The farm was far away, three or four days' journey. Brigid sent some of her workers with him as traveling companions, but they had in fact gone barely a day's journey when they saw his pigs, which they had thought to be often distant parts, coming towards them on the road, driven by wolves which had carried them off. As soon as he realized what had happened, the man recognized them as his pigs. Truly the wild wolves, because of their enormous reverence for the blessed Brigid, had left the great forests and the wide plains to work at herding and protecting the pigs. The Tale of St. Brigid and the Ducks On another day, the blessed Brigid felt a tenderness for some ducks that she saw swimming on the water and occasionally taking wing. She commanded them to come to her, and, as if they were humans under obedience, a great flock of them flew on feathered wings to her without any fear. Having touched them with her hand and caressed them, she let them go and fly away through the air. She praised highly the Creator of all things, to whom all life is subject, and for whose service all life is given. The Tale of St. Brigid and the Bees A certain man, finding himself in particular need, came to Brigid to ask for a measure of honey. She was distressed in her mind, because she had no honey ready that she might give to the person who was asking for it. When the humming of bees was heard underneath the paved floor of the building in which she was, and when that spot from which the buzzing of bees was heard was excavated and examined, 
there was found all the honey the man needed. He returned joyfully to his village. The Tale of St. Bridget and the Tree And I'll just add as a little aside here that this is not the Oak of Kildare. A huge and magnificent tree was cut down and trimmed with axes by skilled craftsmen. Its great size caused such difficulty in maneuvering it that a gathering of strong men was summoned to transport the tree with its awkward branches through difficult places. Aided by the craftsmen's tackle, they proposed to haul it with many oxen to the place where it was to be dealt with. But, in spite of the large number of men, the strength of the oxen, and the skill of the craftsmen, they were unable to budge the tree, so they drew back from it. But the Master teaches, through the medium of the heavenly gospel, that it is possible for faith to move mountains, and through Bridget's stalwart faith, like the grain of mustard seed, they carried this weightiest of trees without the slightest difficulty through the divine mystery of the power of the gospel, and without any mortal aid, to the place designated by St. Bridget. This display of the excellence of God's power was made known through all the lands. The Tale of St. Bridget and the Bath of Beer On another extraordinary occasion, this venerable Bridget was asked by some lepers for beer, but had none. She noticed some water that had been prepared for baths. She blessed it, in the goodness of her abiding faith, and transformed it into the best beer, which she drew copiously for the thirsty. It was indeed he who turned water into wine at Cana, who turned water into beer here, through this most blessed woman's faith. I could go on. There are many more stories in Bridget's legend but I think you get the idea. In these fairy tales, we find morals that go deeper than literal meaning. We learn that through faith, vicious predators can become gentle protectors, that the weak can learn to love the strong, that God provides for us through the smallest of his creatures, that the trees of our families and nations can be moved wherever God wills, and that's in the most unpredictable of places, like the bathwater of a leper colony, we can find the joy that brings people together. In the symbol of beer, of course. If you'd like to read more of these tales, I've included a link in the show notes. They're a lot of fun, and I recommend them over a warm cup of tea, or a tall glass of Irish beer. But, by way of warning... There is one story in there that's easy to misread if you're not familiar with the early Middle Ages. I speak of the rather infamous tale of St. Bridget and the Pregnant Nun. Here's what that story actually says, and I'm quoting verbatim from Cogitosis. A certain woman who had taken a vow of chastity fell through youthful desire of pleasure, and her womb swelled with child. Bridget, exercising the most potent strength of her ineffable faith, blessed her, causing the fetus to disappear without coming to birth and without pain. She faithfully returned the woman to health and to penance. 
As you can probably guess, or as you may have heard in the news, this weird little story is sometimes dredged up by supporters of abortion, who try to claim that in St. Bridget's Day, the church didn't oppose the killing of unborn children. But this is patently absurd, as any historian of that period can tell you. Dark Age medicine, I know you'll be shocked, was extremely primitive, and embryology was barely a science. Following the mistaken beliefs of the ancient Greeks, people in the early Middle Ages thought that a fetus only became alive when a pregnancy was quite far advanced, usually sometime in the second trimester, when the baby began to kick inside the womb. Without modern technology, like ultrasounds and heartbeat monitors, they just didn't know any better. So it shouldn't be too surprising to find that even some church fathers failed to condemn abortion in the early stages of pregnancy. From their point of view, the soul had not yet entered the child's body. The child was not yet alive. So removing the fetus at that early stage was not understood as killing at all. It's that mistaken view, and not any advocacy of abortion, that we see in the life of St. Bridget, where a fetus is said to disappear like an unliving lump. And we can safely write off this story as a fable by an overly imaginative tale-teller. Needless to say, we now know that those church fathers were wrong about embryology. But we can't expect ancient Christians, as much as we admire them, to have been authorities on modern science. Of course, early Christians universally condemned abortion in the later stages of pregnancy, when there was no doubt that the child was alive. And in recent centuries, the Church's teaching on abortion has been vindicated and applied more consistently by the advance of medical knowledge. With that out of the way, I encourage you to enjoy the stories of St. Bridget for what they are. Stories. As little as we know firmly about Bridget's life, there is a lot we can learn from the traditional tales about her. Bridget provides a model of perseverance, even bordering on hard-headedness, in pursuit of the good. Though she treated her father with a child's respect, she never allowed his pagan ways to keep her from doing what was right, whether feeding the poor, saving her mother from slavery, or following her vocation. She also reminds us that God's children include animals as well as people, that being good stewards of the natural world is an important part of being Christian. And, on a related note, her cult shows that Christianity is not only a Jewish religion, it's acquired many good and healthy elements from pagan cultures, too. A number of Irish customs surrounding the veneration of St. Bridget may strike some people as bizarre, like tying prayer ribbons to trees at holy wells, weaving Bridget's crosses from rushes, or tending a perpetual fire at the Abbey of Kildare. But even if some of these traditions have pre-Christian origins, they've been baptized by the coming of Christianity, and converted into charming devotions to a saint. I'm reminded of our Lord's saying that whoever is not against us 
is for us. As long as a custom is compatible with Christianity, we have no reason to throw it out simply because it has a pagan origin. If we did that, then Christmas trees and Easter eggs would have to go as well, to make no mention of the days of the week. St. Bridget is commemorated on the 1st of February, Candlemas Eve. She's held in such high regard by the Irish that Bridget, often shortened to Biddy or Bride, remains one of the most popular girls' names in Ireland to this day, and she's sometimes even given a special title, Mary of the Gale. This ancient epithet, odd as it may sound to modern ears, implies that in Irish Christianity, St. Bridget is honored among women, second only to Our Lady, the Mother of God. Together with her near contemporaries, St. Patrick and St. Columba, both of whom, don't worry, will definitely get their own episodes, St. Bridget is one of the three patron saints of Ireland. She's also a patroness of babies, midwives, children with abusive fathers, fugitives, dairymaids, and, of course, beer brewers, among many, many others. As always, I've included links to prayers and other resources in the show notes. May St. Bridget, Abbess of Kildare, Patroness of Ireland, and Mary of the Gale, come to our aid now and always, for the greater glory of our Lord. Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, and God bless.